This week on episode 495 of Priority One, we trek out what Brent Spiner is currently working on, how much of a Trekkie Robin Williams was, and Michael Shabon expands the universe with a dive into Free Cloud. Then we continue our coverage of Star Trek Online's 11th anniversary with an interview featuring design director Al, Captain Gecko Rivera. You're listening to a Roddenberry podcast. Command codes verified. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secure channel. Hello, Captains. You're listening to episode 495 of Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Your weekly recap and review of all the major news happening in the Star Trek multiverse. This episode was recorded in part on Tuesday, February 2nd, 2021, and available for download or streaming on Friday, February 5th at PriorityOnePodcast.com. I'm Elio. I'm Kat. I'm Tony. This week, we want to welcome new listeners to the show and hope you'll stay in touch. Given that we're a podcast built by a community of Star Trek fans, it's important that we also hear your opinions. Be sure to follow us on places like Twitter and Facebook, where we post weekly community questions, special announcements, and more. Just search for Priority one podcast on your favorite app and you'll find us or email us you can reach us at incoming at priority one podcast.com like Kat said, this is a community podcast produced by a team of volunteers that dedicate their time and talents each and every week, from audio editors to writers to us, the hosts. We come together each week because we're passionate about the Star Trek multiverse. And like any passion project, it's hard to keep things running at no cost. So if you find value in this production and want to help us continue to grow, check us out at our Patreon page. There you can become a patron for as little as a dollar a month. But we understand that financial contributions might be tough right now. Which is why our door is always open to other passionate Trekkies who might be interested in joining our team, from audio or video editors to artists to hosting. That's right, the hunt is on for a new voice to join our team. So if you've got a lot to say about Star Trek, we encourage you to visit our website, PriorityOnePodcast.com, and click on the Join the Team link at the top. There you'll find a description of available positions you can contribute to. And if you are a member of the BIPOC and or LGBTQ plus community, we hope that you'll seriously consider applying. Ojalá eres otro Latino que le encanta Star Trek. It's important that we make an effort to represent all corners of the Star Trek community. So remember, our site is PriorityOnePodcast.com. Now let's check out the latest news from the Star Trek multiverse. Jump what places. I don't know. Then let's trek it out. Over the history of Trekdom, there's been an exceedingly long list of guest stars on the show. Who's your favorite Star Trek guest star? Well, among my favorites has got to be Iggy Pop in The Magnificent Ferengi. That's just inspired. Uh, the crew of Voyager named some of theirs during a recent virtual GalaxyCon panel. Who made the list? Well, in no particular order, Jonathan Rhys Davies, who played Leonardo da Vinci, the maestro. Sarah Silverman showed up as a 20th century astronomer from Los Angeles. Jason Alexander uh, drug along his big brain. And who could forget Dwayne? 
Wayne, The Rock Johnson, cooking up some gladiator tights action. But what about the guest stars that never were? Robert Picardo said that he lobbied the writers pretty hard to get DeForest Kelly on the show, but unfortunately, Kelly's health was failing and he was not well enough to perform. Also, some of you may recall that Robin Williams was a big fan of Star Trek, but you may not know that Neelix was one of his favorite characters. During production of Voyager, Williams was filming The Birdcage on the same Paramount lot and had a lovely encounter with Ethan Phillips. As Phillips recalls, quote, he sees me and he goes, oh my god, Mr. Neelix. And he does this whole big routine about what it's like to be a chef in outer space. Oh, the eggs are floating! The pancakes are getting too big! Total Robin Williams shtick. I had a private performance for like a minute and it was really funny. Then he came up, gave me a big hug and said, I love your character, sir. Such a sweet, sweet man. I'll never forget it. End quote. Man, that's awesome that Robin Williams was such a big fan of the show. I think I'd heard a story where he was hanging around in his Mork and Mindy days, like backstage during uh, filming one of the movies. Motion picture. Yeah. yeah. That would have been the same time. Delightful. And he had that whole episode of TNG written for him, Matter of Time, which was great. I mean, and, and speaking of which, I think they managed a crossover because William Shatner had a guest spot for like a second on uh, on one of the Mork and Mindy's episodes. And he was like... They, really? Yeah. And they did the whole transporter <gasps> effect. I forget the shtick. I, I forget what it was, but he, William Shatner beamed in in a bathrobe like he was going to a spa or something. I don't remember what it was, but it was, it was, it was cute. And funny and and of course the the uh, the orc salute is nanu nanu and he tries to shake your hand in the Vulcan salute <laughs> finger split thing so yeah he's he's a total fan of the show and, and worked it into his shtick and everything so that's a fun story though I absolutely love Robin Williams I mean who doesn't? who doesn't and if you don't there's something wrong with you seriously and I never knew this I never knew this about him that he was such a trekkie yeah. and to know that he interacted with Ethan Phillips in this way just makes me love him even more I mean the fact that he kind of geeked out with Ethan Phillips. He was a geek, you know? He was playing... He named his daughter Zelda... Yep. <laughs> you he know, sure I mean, he's a, he was a super geek and I just it's he's one of those artists that I would have loved to just have met even in passing. You know, it just it warms my heart. Ethan Phillips has a Robin Williams story. Anybody that has one of those is like, you know, they're special because they, yes, they, they had yeah. they had a they had a, a, a moment and a good one from from Phillips's perspective. I think, oh, Kate Mulgrew, she even said that she got to play softball with him. I guess they were all hanging out oh. on that lot when they were filming the birdcage. So, oh, man. <laughs> I know. How cool would that have been? That's awesome. Yeah. Aw, he's amazing. If there's ever been a Star Trek actor who never takes themselves too seriously, it's Brent Spiner. Those of you who have had an opportunity to see him on stage at a convention know that he's a showman. And even when he's not supposed to be on stage, he manages to surprise his Star Trek colleagues with a cameo appearance. Well, even though he may have retired from the character of Data on Star Trek Picard, Spiner is still willing to take us on an adventure of his life. Whether via a web series like his 2011 Fresh Hell or last year's musical Brentwood, Brent Spiner knows his fans love him and will keep coming back for more. So, in keeping up with demand, Spiner has announced a new book he's working on titled Fan Fiction, a memoir inspired by true events. In an exclusive interview with Sci-Fi Wire's Vanessa Armstrong, Spiner describes the book as, quote, a little bit of this and a little bit of that, but it's primarily fiction. There are slices of my own life in it, and then there are also people I have known. It's a mashup. It's a thriller. It's a comedy. It's a dark comedy. And it's partially a memoir, but none of it's real, really, even though a lot 
lot of things actually happened, end quote. Unfortunately, according to the article, which parts of the story are true and which parts are false will be a closely guarded secret. If you're interested in picking up a copy, the book debuts in October 2021 and pre-orders are already available. Links, of course, will be in the show notes. I hope that they turn this into an audiobook. I, oh, I would gladly I read hope it. he reads it like himself. I, I love Wheaton reads it. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> Will Wheaton is a really good he's, book narrator. He's really, he is really good. That's why I say I hope he reads it. That, that would be a fun crossover. Yeah. That would be amazing. And then we could ask Will Wheaton which of those things really happened, because he may know. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Because interestingly, even they go on to ask him about when people like LeVar Burton or Patrick Stewart end up showing up in the book. He says, he goes on to say that, you know, they're, they're heightened versions of them. They're not right, really exaggerated, them, just heightened right, yeah, versions, right. exaggerated versions of them. And if any, you know, honestly, all of his attempts I have found to be entertaining, you know, yeah. whether it's his, Absolutely. whether it's his albums or his web series or the, you know, the little musical clips that he did last year during COVID, they're entertaining. Like, like you said in the copy, he is a showman, right? I mean, there's just some people right. that just, it, it, they just have sort of a, it's the Irish gift of gab, right? They open their mouth and something magic kind of comes out of it. So yeah, it's, I, I liked Fresh Hell. I watched that back in the day and uh, his recent, you know, videos that he's been putting out that we've reported on him a couple times. I'll probably pick this one up. Oh yeah. He's a treasure. One of the whistle stops on the Jean-Luc revival tour in season one of Picard was a hotbed of commerce, villainy, and bar gunfights. What we saw on screen was an Easter egg filled skyline and two interior sets. But what you didn't see was a whole 200 year history of a planet on the edge of known space. Straight from the notepad of season one showrunner Michael Chabon, we bring you a full tourist guide to the anarcho-existentialist enclave known as Free Cloud. You want geography? It's got a single continent surrounded by a mountain range, which is in turn surrounded by a single ocean so wild you can only travel it by submarine. You want weather? Get a load of the full range of an M-Class world, from polar caps to tropical jungles, with mega hurricanes and a monsoon season to boot. You want history? Check out its tenuous neutrality, tacitly enforced by the Klingons, Romulans, and Federation due to its status as a criminal, corporate, and smuggling hub. You want politics? They've got a five-sentence constitution and no organized police force. But every freak aged 16 and up is a member of the militia, basically for life. Now, this was a fun bit of world building that will no doubt make its way into every Star Trek Adventures tabletop RPG, either as a campaign setting or a mission hub. A link to Shabon's expansive detail on Free Cloud will be in our show notes. This is like what I think they wanted Nimbus 3 to be, but they didn't have the sets for it, right? This is, you know, the... Oh, like were, on the edge, yeah, yeah, uh, like yeah. the the border town where right. they, you know, it's... You know, except it's a border... Everything goes. Yeah, except it's a border... <laughs> city of 20 million people on this crazy planet with neon skyscrapers and stuff. I mean, this is, yeah. It's like they took for the, they're like, Nimbus 3, but not crappy. Let's do that. Let's let's do that. Mm, yeah. Alright, I'd love to see that. You know what would give us a really good chance to explore Free Cloud? Star Trek Online. Really? That's not so. a bad idea. I don't think so either. because yeah, it's, you know, they can do uh, neon skylines and, and tropical jungles and stuff. They can do whatever they want in Star Trek Online. And it's, it, geographically, according to Shabon, it's kind of
kind of in the middle of the Klingon Romulan and uh, Federation space. So it'd be down there by Drozana, somewhere in that area, probably. It would be prettier than Nimbus. Hell yeah, yeah. Would it be by Drozana? I guess. Well, maybe north of Drozana, so... like north away. If I remember my map right. Yeah. Yes. I if, like... I re- if you remember your fictional map correctly. <laughs> yes. Yes. Thank you. I, remember my fictional I was map thinking correctly. like. Thank you for the accuracy there. I appreciate the attempt. <laughs> like south of Sierra Thirty Nine, north of Drozana. You take you take the one hundred and one. Don't get off at the uh, at the Vulcan exit. You want to go past that. Get off and get off at the Andoria exit. That's where that's where you want. I just love how serious you were about that. Just north of Drozana. No, no more Ushan. Little... <laughs> you hit the Badlands. You've gone too far. You've gone too far. Ooh, he took a wrong turn at Andoria. <laughs> well, Captains, that's all the news we have to trek out this week. Now let's welcome to the show Star Trek Online's design director, Al Captain Gecko Rivera. Security clearance level 3 or above is required to access files. This is Captain Benjamin Sisko. Authorization Sisko Alpha 1 Alpha. Logs accessed. Hello, Captains, and joining us on this episode of Priority One is Star Trek Online's lead designer, Al, Captain Gecko Rivera. Al, thank you so very much for joining us on this episode to celebrate the 11th anniversary of Star Trek Online. Oh, thank you very much. Uh, thank you for having me. Good to be back. And I have to give you a little correction. I am no longer lead designer of Star Trek Online. I am the design director. Get so, out of here. So what does that I mean? here. It's a meaningless title to help people uh, who are insecure feel better about themselves. Whoa, whoa, whoa. No, 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 no. <laughs> lead, you get the lead, and then you get director. director. That's like, that's like, yeah, that's that's a jump. You have to change your your on screen name to Admiral Gecko now. Admiral Gecko, that's true. I surely should change it to Admiral Gecko. Um, that's a good point. I'm going to do that right. Yeah, now. flag officer rank now. <laughs> director. Yeah. I prefer pre- el presidente Gecko. Yep, sure. Do the- that. This is why I love this show. Exactly. <laughs> uh, so, no, seriously, what you know, what does that entail? Are you involved in all aspects of cryptic games now? Is it still focused on Star Trek Online? No, I'm not. I'm not the. I'm not a studio director. I'm still. I'm still just on Star Trek Online. I mean, I've always helped and work and participate in, in you know wherever I can on the other projects, but my focus is still just Star Trek Online. It's. Um, we still have lead designers, um, and uh, and now we just have this new rank of design director. It's. It brings a little more in line with industry standards compared to a lot of companies have creative directors or design directors or things like categories like that. Um, it's a level that's a little more involved at, a, at uh, where the lead designers are largely focused entirely just on design. Uh, director is a little more focused on the business and the project as itself as a vision holder and that kind of thing, And which is basically what I've been doing for a long time. It's basically a new rank in lead designer, so it's a uh, paragon path, let's call it. Yeah, and, and you've been doing that job for a long time. It's just that... Effectively, yeah. Yeah, yeah. If you'd gone to another company working in another game, they would have hired you in laterally as director to do that thing. But the, the job title you had at Cryptic didn't match that. I think it's a fair description. Like, we've had on the art side, we've had similar. We've had lead artists, and we've also had art directors. That parody didn't really exist on the design until recently, so now they, so they have that recognition now, which is good that we have that in the studio. Well, so that was like a huge introduction for a, for a title change. So, you know, and now we should talk about the game probably. 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 But, uh, that's just uh, I, uh, my suggestion. As as a non-director of this show, as merely a participant. Well, congratulations on the title, on the rank up, on the level up. Somebody should have played either J.G. Hertzler com- congratulating you or perhaps Leonard Nimoy. Let's get it in post. Let's, <laughs> let's get it in post. <laughs> congratulations, Admiral. So, 11 years 
Star Trek Online has just celebrated its 11th year. We're still in the process of its celebration. That's another great milestone, right? And and, and especially in the world of video games and MMOs, uh, what what's different about this year versus perhaps the 10th anniversary for you? Well, it goes to 11. Fair enough. That's a great. That's final tap territory. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't. Not sure how to answer that question. How is it different? Um, I mean, it's kind of hard to top. I mean, when you hit ten, I mean that was a that was a huge milestone. So. The idea of being of having an MMO that's robust and still going after ten years uh, in this space. Can we talk about the space for a minute? Because I think that's maybe one of the the accomplishments. I mean, when you started Star Trek Online, MMOs were all the rage, and now you've seen the game industry change maybe at least twice to you know what all the rage was. I mean, and but Star Trek Online as an MMO is still going. I mean, do you guys like take take time to reflect on that or or have any you know back paddings that go on? I, I we certainly don't miss a moment to reflect on that um you know i I, this last year what has been really unique is that this year we made what i would say is exceptional content very proud of the stories we made and the stories and the the content we delivered and we did we did very well and we did it all working from home right we did it all remotely and that took that took a while to kind of find find our stride in that find our, our pacing and, and, and the tools we needed to do and, and the changes in communication we needed to, to achieve. But we did it and, and we still managed to do really, really well. And, you know, like everyone else, the team is struggling like anybody else. You know, we're, there's there's a lot of like, hey, you know, great job and, you know, when do we get this and how do you do that? But, you know, we've got a team that like everyone else is human and we're suffering, suffering through pandemics and, and um, political uprisings or whatever you want to whatever you want to call it read about some of this in the newspapers instabilities right it's been in a couple of the a couple of the headlines <laughs> riots and black lives matters and and uh, all the different things that's happened over the, over the, over the last year and we've got people who have families and they have children that can't go to school so they're trying to take care of their kids while working and they can't they can't work full time. They they have to take hours off to to take care of the kids while their spouse works, and then they shift back and forth. And then you have people who are uh, single and live in an apartment by themselves and have no human contact for a year. And you know that really wears on people uh, and everyone in between. And I happen to be very fortunate. I, I have a nice home with my wife, and we have an outdoor backyard. And so I'm the exception, and so I have nothing to complain about compared to everyone else. But with all of that going on, instability and security teams still managed to put. Together together amazing amazing content and they dedicated and they, they put their their heart and their time into it and so i couldn't be prouder with and and that's definitely what's different with this 11th this 11th year than it was compared to the 10th year we, we did it in spite of everything that happened and that's a that's a something to be very proud of you know as i played the the featured episodes it was an amazing reminder of how well Star Trek Online can tell a Star Trek story. I would argue, and you may not like this, I would argue better than what we've seen on television thus far. Why wouldn't I like that? I don't know. I don't know because you're very defensive about this TV show, so you'd like to protect them. No, 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 no. But I'm more protective of mine, so I think that's great high praise because I love the shows so much that you would think that that what we do, if you would even 
put us on anywhere near that parallel is great praise that I am grateful for. So thank you. And I think it's deserved. I played the missions and I wanted more, right? You're left wanting more. But there has been a considerable decrease in the storytelling missions, right? We were talking about this a few episodes ago on Priority One. I was kind of curious about, and I'm, I'm talking specifically about story missions, right? And I mapped it out over the course of the 10 years using Stowiki, just these story missions and, and their cadence of release. I had noticed that as of the last half of 2018, those storyline missions that involved voiceover work, animation, and whatnot slowed down significantly. So whereas perhaps in 2017 or 2018, maybe there were 20 missions, we saw 2019 come down to maybe four or five, and then... But can you talk to us a little bit about that cadence of story content-driven missions for Star Trek Online, the ones that, you know, especially those solo players, keep them wanting to come back to live on the story of Star Trek? Well, I think that there's there's two factors going on there. And the, the first the the first one is is obvious in the last year because of COVID that we're just working slower, right? It's just it's it's a there's there's a tax that you've got to pay a little bit there. And I think in the beginning there definitely was we you know not finding our stride. I think now we're pretty pretty close to um, 100% efficient at this point. But at first, you know, just just learning how to hold meetings and play tests and and brainstorms um, and using new tools. Um, it was a learning curve for us. So a lot of it was, uh, we, we, we have these phases uh, in game development, or at least in starting cryptic, where we have um, forming, storming, um, norming and performing, right? That's just like literally, you know, where you're first forming the team, and then and then you're trying to figure out how to work together as the storming phase, and then the next phase is normative. This is like normative work, and then there's this kind of like you know nirvana when all of a sudden the team is working really well together, and that's the performing stage where everyone just just clicking and knows what to do. When you change anything dramatic, like change change leadership or change team members significantly, automatically go back down and have to re-figure out how to do things. Again. So we go working from home. Dramatic was like that, right? It was one day. I remember it was whatever mark what a day it was. March something it was a Thursday, and I started getting the news. March 18th. Right, okay, and then on <laughs> uh, on Thursday we were it was grumblings about at work. They were starting to come up with protocols and and what levels of DefCon we were going to go into. And the day before Thursday, I said, I'm not going to work. I just don't feel good about it. And I said, I'm not going to go to work. I'm going to stay home. Um, they were still going to work the next day, the Friday. The next day, they sent everyone home. So it was and and that was it. So then we. We didn't know what to do. Right? We we had no access to anything, so we had to relearn all that all that stuff. And so that took a while. Now I think in the last three to six six months, I would say that we're past the norming phase and we're back into that storming phase where we used to be, where everyone knows what they need to do and everyone's clicking again. So definitely that that was a, a change for us, and I'm sure for everybody, and trying to be as productive and back to back to normal. Let me ask you a question now. So one of Cryptic's uh, strengths, kind of maybe uh, as compared to your competitors, is that you guys have been around the block a number of times and have and had really ironed out your processes, right? There was a Cryptic way to do stuff. You cross-pollinated teams, right? Some people work on Magic or, or Neverwinter or Star Trek Online, and you you, move, you bring those methods around. Having those those really routine methods, do you think that worked against you in making the transition? No, I think, it, I, I think that Cryptic has methods in the culture, but each team has their own culture. I, Star Trek has probably the most mature one by that because we are the oldest product on the company I guess champions but they're very 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 small team and more importantly we have a lot of um, people who've been on Star Trek for a long time right Jeremy Jesse Thomas 
you know, myself, uh, most of the Nick, uh, most of the pe- people have been on the team for six, seven, eight, nine years, right? We've all worked together for a really long time. We all know how, how we work. And so, and we've developed a very mature process that I think that's definitely helped us get right back on our feet much more quickly than even some of the other teams um, because we've just, we've worked so closely together for such a long time. It just was a hit for everybody, everyone across the industry. And so, no, I, I don't think that that familiarity or uh, what hurt us, I think it's what really helped us thrive. It just took a little while to change what that was, that process was going to be like and how we were going to do that. And, because then there was like this, at, at first, all of a sudden we're all on Zoom. We were use Teams, not Zoom. Like just, it, it, I say Zoom is just kind of the, the generic term, like Kleenex or something. But Disposable, yeah, gotcha. Yeah, <laughs> disposable. <laughs> um, so we use Teams, Microsoft Teams, and um, at first we start that up so, so we can start communicating, and then it was too much because all of a sudden Teams on the phone and all night you're getting bling, 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 bling because that's the only way to communicate. Is there, we, had, we were setting up groups and chat on chat channels and all of a sudden everyone was too connected and people couldn't stop working but were constantly and so we had to teach each other how to respect each other's time as well as not so we don't swing it too far in the other way so which you know we never worked remote before was never something we'd even considered i think that as a result of this i think this has really been a good experience as far as um i think we're better now i do think we're better i think we all miss human interaction but it's forced us certainly forced me as a manager to improve my communication and organization skills you can't just rely on just running into somebody in the hall or just get sticking your head up and looking at somebody you have to be on schedule you have to you have to respect those times you have uh, but at the same time you you have to keep your notes organized and you've got and uh, you can't just worry about just keeping them on your head or on a scratch on a whiteboard somewhere and you've got to make sure that you are scheduling regular time to communicate with people as opposed to yeah he's right there i'll just shoot over my turn my head over my shoulder over the over the cube and let him know something so you have to open those lines of communication and i think it's made us better i i think it's made me a better manager i think it's empowered a lot of people to be better i got some people who would have hour and a half commutes now they're putting you know they they don't have to do that anymore so they're not exhausted anymore with those commutes just like coming to this podcast you barely put on pants i don't wouldn't even say barely no (laughs) (laughs) Um, let's not go too far um so so yeah so it's it's um it's 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 forced us to be better you know and there was growing pains at first and now it's forced us to be better and uh, i think as a as a team and as an industry i think we'll be better for it in the long run but it's definitely very painful right now but just before that happened whether or not we're reducing less content i certainly can't argue with you that we reduce less missions Right. I want to be specific, right? Because content is a broad is a broad stroke to include, you know, TFOs. I think you're using the term correctly for us internally. When we say content, it's content means what the uh, means things that you do, not things you not things that you use like ships or guns or powers. But so missions and TFOs and patrols and things like zones, things like that. Well, I'm specifically talking missions, right? Because we we have we have seen TFOs drop and new new patrols things like that that we have seen a, a, an uptake of but the average yearly release of featured episode content the playable missions that that move the story forward seem to have slowed down quite a bit they've only slowed down because we've made a conscious effort to not make crappy ones so we are just putting a lot more time into developing the story into developing the cutscenes and developing a 
gameplay that is interesting and exciting and we're putting a lot of polish and a lot more time in it. Um, back when we first launched the game, we were making missions in three to five days. Pretty much all of that is out of the game. I think everything, all of those are out of the game right now. The, the last ones were some remnant Klingon missions, which as of this 11th anniversary are now completely gone from the game. We were developing them in three to five days. And then somewhere along the line, we started spending two weeks on a mission. Then we said that was enough, so we started spending three weeks on a mission. And that'd be about the time when we started trying the featured episode, like every month come out with an episode, because we could only, because we could pull one off in two or three weeks. And that was unsustainable and, and, and the quality still wasn't there. For a long time, we were developing things in six weeks. Okay, so this is our sprint. Six weeks to make a mission, plus one week of polish. Um, and we did that for a long time. Now we're do, we're spending about nine to 12 because we started doing six-week missions and then we always wanted to do a better one. Let's do an amazing one. Let's do Quark's Lucky 7, which was incredibly complex. Let's do... And then we started doing things like... Um, like uh, the 10th anniversary episode or even the finale of uh, Victory is Life. And those are starting to take us now 12 weeks to do. And they're fun. They're better. And then we started doing, not maybe as them quite as big, but but still keeping keeping that time scheduled so that way we can do higher, more interesting gameplay, higher level quality, you know, things like um, New Kittimer, right? With the, the, the uh, mycelial wave coming through. It was a complex piece of game to make. This is also on the art side too. I don't think anyone would argue that the quality of our art, just not only just our environments, but our characters are significantly going up. Kat mentioned something about the Klingon hair. The Klingon hair. She mentioned it repeatedly. I've been going on about it for a long time now. That's why my new character is only level 13 and I haven't finished playing the featured missions because I keep going to the tailor. They keep changing the hair? Yes, I love it. So it's another example. I mean, and a lot of that is, you know, that's that's you know that's our art team and that's under a lot of our direction from our art director, um, you know, Bill Yates. And so... Um, we're just spending a lot more time bringing the quality up. We're no, we're we're a ten-year-old game, and you know that means that you may run across an asset that's ten years old next to an asset that's brand new, and you'll see a quality difference there. And so we're just trying to improve that, but we're not doing crappy stuff anymore. And sometimes it's like, oh, let's just do this, and we can just use this environment. And art's like, no, we hate that environment. It's so old and ugly. And it's like, okay, we got to rebuild it. And so we rebuild it, and that means instead of being able to just take an old kit. We have kits. We have things called kits, right? Federation kit, Klingon kit, whatever Romulan kit. That's that's all the hallways and, and rooms and bridges and, and whatever and then we can snap them together in different pieces to make a new map. And it says, yeah, let's do a mission on a Romulan ship and we just use the Romulan kit. And they're like, no, it's we don't like it. It's old. It's outdated. It's ugly. And it says, okay, then we're going to have to rebuild it. And then so that puts that's then that goes on the schedule and it just takes longer to make because we uh, the team wants to make better stuff. And and then, of course, there's the cutscenes, right? The story, the the story, the, the visual storytelling we do with cutscenes, and the work that our writer Paul and Weston, our animator, and Scott, our environment lead, he's also our basically our film director. He would call it like a cinematographer who directs those scenes. Spend a lot of time making those scenes come to life. So all of that just takes a lot more time. So I think that we have a lot of content in Star Trek Online. I've played it all at some point as a developer. I have not played all the content as a player. There's just so much there. And so I think that as a studio, as a team, and I think hoping as as a player that everyone wants to have higher quality contents. Less content, higher quality, than more content, lower quality. 
that's, that's, that's our, so that's our commitment, which means less episodes, and that's going to mean one or two per season on episodes. And and so you say season, right? And so on average now seasons are our seasons are our seasonal releases are our anniversary, and then usually something around May, and then something around September, October, and then you've got your, and then in between that there's a summer event, and then after that is the winter event, and then with next anniversary. So there's about three full drops a year currently, but we keep changing that cadence. We've changed that cadence multiple times. That's our current cadence release. Yeah, right. Is uh, three 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 seasonal drops a year plus winter and summer event. I think Andre in a previous ep- uh, interview that we had done with him, he said, um, you know, redoing the distribution of the storylines was also to be flexible considering the new Star Trek shows that are out there. Well, yeah, that's all, that, that's just us having to be agile and, re- and reactionary to what's what's going on on the shows. Can I ask you a question about that word, the R word that you just used your second is it reactionary? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you sense it. Here it comes. Here it comes, Al. Here it comes. Get ready. Now, it, so through the Iconian War, you guys had pretty much carte blanche from CBS. As long as you didn't kill anybody uh, important to the Star Trek mythos, you guys kind of had a free free reign to do whatever you wanted to. Now you've got there's there's shows that either that kind of support you, but you also kind of have to support. Like if they say this is how the history went, that's kind of how the history needs to go. You need to play into that. Is that is that hamstringing you guys a little bit there or do you like it or is that is it just different it is definitely different i mean everything you said is spot on i think what you get is a um yeah it's a double-edged sword so on one side we've got we've got a ridiculous amount of story content characters assets ships weapons gadgets and and uh you know a rich mythology to dive into on the other hand I don't know where they're going to go with it, so we can't just decide, hey, let's do a story where we bring, you know, so-and-so into the game out of time or something and, or interrupt because their stories are unlike, they're not episodic. So, you know, unlike TNG where we don't know how much time passed between episode five and episode six or what they did in between there. And that's usually where a lot of the comic books happen, that kind of books will happen in between there. But these stories, they're, they're, it's like we're watching it in real time. <laughs> Right? Sometimes they don't leave enough time between episodes. Like, how the hell did you get there that fast? You can't do that. Right, yeah. So there's not like, oh, in between this episode and this episode, this thing, you know, they winked out and came to our universe for a little bit. Um, and who's going to, who who knows who's going to be dead or who's going to be evil or who's going to be, or, or, or whatever. And so we are working, we meet every, twice a month, every two weeks with CBS to discuss our stories. And they tell us about what they're planning to try to just keep the communication. And a lot of it's like, um, no, don't do that because we don't know what we're gonna do with it yet right that's then that's just the reality of that so it's okay we just we won't do that because you don't know what we can do with value yet so um it forces us to do have to do clever things to get them into the game until the space is safe also most of the shows with the maybe the exception of picard which is close to ours timeline all all of discovery is either a two couple hundred years before us or 900 years after us or something so um, it's not very easy to use those stories, but as you've seen, we found clever ways to bring those characters into our game that keep us, that allows us to make decisions with them that isn't going to affect whatever they do, right? So we'll talk spoiler territory if you haven't played. If you haven't played, you should sign off now, go play, and then come back and listen to the spoilers. So this is your spoiler warning. <laughs> We bring back, we rescue Lorel's soul, and we put her into a cloned body, body just like Kalis. We, the Excalbians, made a construct of Michael Burnham, and we rebuild, you know, 
pulse damages mind in the mycelial body, just like we saw that happen with with uh, in in discovery. So we have to find more clever ways to make, to bring those stories in, um, so that way we don't touch upon their encroach upon what might happen in their show. But getting the assets in, like starships or guns or whatever, that's that's not there's no story issues there. So we'll just get in and have fun with them because they're cool and we all like them. Well, let me let me ask you this, Al. There there's clearly an argument to be made that you want to include the new hotness from the new shows in the game to attract those potential players. But I think of, like, when I watched The Mandalorian, right, or now watching WandaVision, I would watch those episodes and then think to myself, gee, I want to continue this story somehow. I want to be involved in, in, in the universe somehow. So I'll either, you know, go back and watch a Star Wars movie um, or, in Kat's instance, join SWOTOR. Um, sorry, Kat, didn't mean to dr- th- throw you under the bus there. I know, way to throw me under the bus there. <laughs> no, 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 no. Ask your question because then I want to follow up on that. <laughs> so I understand that, that the argument can be made that, yes, we want to include discovery topics in the game to attract new players. But what about the opposite? What about just, or not the opposite, but what about just keeping Star Trek Online in a universe that doesn't rely on what's happening on screen. So for instance, if I watch The Mandalorian and I jump into SWOTOR, I don't expect to see what I saw in Mandalorian. But I will. I do expect to live on the story in the Star Wars universe, right? So why not just you know you know continue these stories like the Iconian arc or you know a new arc in that way that doesn't depend on new Trek? Um, because I believe it would be a mistake. Um, I believe that if I'm going onto so onto onto Knights of the Old Republic, I would expect to see something related to Mandalorian. I think it would be a mistake for them not to. Yeah, I'm like I'd still want Bo-Katan's armor or her weapon. You know, I'd want something like that from the show to see. But right, so I'm going to expect to, and I think it's a mistake to not lean into that. Star Trek Online. Star Trek probably has a little more leeway than Star Wars as far as the mythology because time travel in, in alternate universes is a lot more prevalent or it's like, I guess it's never existed in Star Wars as far as I know. Maybe some soft can I'm not aware of as far as time travel or multiple dimensions but Star Trek certainly has that. From the beginning, I've always said and will continue to say that Star Trek Online represents and will always represent every iteration of Star Trek so you as a Star Trek fan can play your fantasy out however you want whether you want to be it, whether you want to lean into a TNG fiction or a TOS fiction or a Kelvin timeline fiction or a discovery fiction or whatever it is, um, we're going to provide as much as we can so you can live out those stories, those characters, those props, that look, that style, and be, uh, or even Mirror Universe for that matter. Um, and we're going to embrace it all. We're going to give it to you all. It would be a total misstep for us to just say, well, Discovery's not even in our timeline, so we don't want to upset anybody. So we're just not going to do it. We're going to ignore it. We can do our own thing. Well, let me be let me be more specific, because like to Kat's point, yeah, yeah, you go into Swoltor and perhaps you can get the armor or something like that. So may, perhaps not items, but like it seems like this Jaula arc was really framed around what we were seeing in Discovery and then later on in the comics that, that were produced, right? What about the... That's kind of what I'm talking about. I'm talking about these big story arcs that, you know, to Tony's question earlier, having to be reactionary to what we're seeing week to week. 
I'm not having to be reactionary week to week. I'm. It's not like all of a sudden I have to change my entire story arc because something comes out on the show. That's why we are. We find ways to to tell a story that is discovery related. That actually starts in when you if you make a discovery character, you get you know if you make one, you get to you know you get to play during that Klingon Federation conflict that's in discovery. You you, know, you get to see the Glen. You get to see the Tardigrade. You get to you're in that story with Tilly as starting her when she's still just a cadet just a year before right uh, and then all the way through there we get to learn Landry's backstory about why she became so traumatized the way she was and so mad and this actual switch of Lorca, Lorca from 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 yeah. Prime Lorca to Mira Lorca. So we get to see all that, and then we introduce you know a character from the comics, Jula, who is Takuvma's sister, established in the comic, who's written which is written by Mike Johnson and Kirsten Byer. Kirsten Byer, one of the writers of of Discovery, and we take that character, and then we pull that all to the future, and we continue that story with a you know with a Discovery mythos. If you ask me why do I why don't you just not bother doing that? I was like it's the story I want to tell. So that's the answer. I want to tell that story i think it would be silly not to there's a lot of people who are loving discovery um there's some people who may not like it um but it is very popular it is very hot it is very effective and now we're taking those stories those characters and we're telling them in our way i'm telling them in a star trek online way um in the way that we've brought you other stories and we'll tell other stories in the future we'll try to do some book card related stuff we'll try to you know we'll see if we can do some lower deck stuff yes i don't know anything about i don't know anything about about Strange New Worlds, but... Oh, you're going to do that. Oh, you're going to do that. But I'm, I'm certain we're going to do some Strange New Worlds stuff, right? Whether, whether, that, whether that means a pull a race or a pull a story thread that comes out there or just actually just go right into that timeline, I don't know. I don't know yet. So uh, no one's seen anything about that show yet. So we're going to lean into every type of trek there is, and there's, there's something for everybody in there, and, um, and we're going to do them all in our way the way we tell stories and i think that i can only as an individual and as a member of a team we can you know we can only just say this is the story we want to tell and we hope you enjoy it and if you don't enjoy it thank you for playing our game but this but if, but i'm hoping that you do enjoy it and i think that our our response in the numbers and and the participation we have tells us that they are enjoying it that's not what you said before you said i i want to tell these stories i think a director ranking role went to somebody's head is what i think <laughs> 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 this is my Watch game out, <laughs> The, the admiral will throw you off the bridge. Be careful. Uh, uh, so, so follow up, following up on on that. So, uh, you know, Cat was coming to the Swotor game as somebody new to the game to a we're going to call it a mature MMO. You know, they came after Star Trek Online by a little bit, as I recall. But you know, they're almost as mature as you. Uh, so, are, are, do you, you do you think that these that this is an advantage for Star Trek Online that you can even if it's reactionary, you are telling these new stories specifically in this really established mature old sorry MMO uh, it, it, and are you are you gearing seasoned seasoned the word is seasoned seasoned there yes. you go seasoned MMO that's it so are, are, you, are you making a play basically for new players to come to this seasoned MMO with the explicit promise of what you're seeing on the screen in six months or so you're going to see that reflected in our game I'm not going to keep this game pulled into being in lockstep with whatever's on TV but we are definitely going to leverage 
anything that they put out there for us to uh, make sure that when you see this stuff on screen, and this is what's in everyone's zeitgeist right now, is like, well, you know, whatever it is, this, this thing about Discovery or this thing about Picard or whatever, it's on everyone's mind. And when they come into the game, they're going to see something familiar. It's going to remind them of that. We, have the, we do have the advantage because we have the advantage of multiple timelines and uh, different universes that we can flip around and do that much more easily than maybe some other IPs might be able to do that but we, we are going to leverage that and we're going to continue to interweave that with other types of star trek right we've got discovery klingons side by side you know tng klingons and and we'll continue to interweave our stories just like you do with iconians where you've got tng stories interweaving with enterprise stories and voyager stories and characters and races and so we'll keep doing that but we will always continue to represent every type of star trek as we can in the future it's just we have to be a little more um, methodical and cautious when we're dealing with live shows because they're still writing it so i can't just go and say we're just going to go and do our own thing and, and screw it you know they may one day do something that completely conflicts with our canon and there'll be nothing i can do about it and that's okay i'm still happy for the stories that they bring and what the, and the that cornucopia of ideas and assets that allows that gives us so many options we actually have a staff question yeah you know, we actually got we have a staff question on the you you like walked right over this topic, so now we have to do this one. One of our one the member of the party one staff said uh, Picard kind of torpedoed some of the road to twenty four oh nine, and we've already seen some Picard uh, era elements in the game. But are we gonna have to like go back and retcon Legacy of Romulus? Can you be more specific on how you think that Picard torpedoed our path to twenty four oh nine? I didn't ask this question; someone else did, but I thought it was a good one. Well, it's not a good one if you can't give me if you can't bring me any data or specifics to defend against. I have no doubt that there 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 are going to be conflicts with some of the things they do and I think saying torpedoed is pretty harsh. I think probably the biggest thing that is uh, is a conflict in the 24-9 is that they kept B4 in a drawer in Picard, right? And and in the um, the J.J. Abrams um, countdown comics, which we embrace, but having B4 um, becoming... Data Mark II, yeah. Data Mark II, if you will, um, was something that we put in our path to 2409. Um, I would not say that that all of a sudden completely dismantles our storyline and somehow invalidates validates us. Um, it's not even in our game. It's in our path to 2409. And if I had to retcon it, I suppose we could, but I see no need to that. Um, there are plenty of things. You sort of have him in the game. Remember when he brings, he visits Tasha or uh, Sila? You never see him. Um, I think the, the, you never see him. You never you see him. Who it is. You don't know who that is. Um, so, <laughs> so sort of do only count doesn't count in the horseshoes or hand grenades, man. <laughs> so, but, um, um, but yeah, I mean, I, but you know, Star Trek itself has has conflicted its own. You know, it's such a dense, dense mythos that it often conflicts itself either on accident or on purpose, um, even within the same series. So it's uh, it mistakes happen and and con- conflicts happen, and and that that's okay, right? You can, as a user, as a consumer, as a viewer and a fan, consider whatever you want to be canon. If you don't want it to be canon in your head, then you don't have to. If you want it to be you can have to if you want to say that star trek sign online is in a separate universe if that then you can do that it doesn't if you enjoy it that way then then great in my head it's the same universe i consider it the same universe until i can't 
write our way out of it. So, so the short answer is things like some of the stuff about the Hobus supernova doesn't exactly match up with the conversation between Picard and Raffi. And I mean, it's like what didn't match up in Picard with our story in the hope regarding the Hobus supernova. Mostly, I don't know if the whole subspace explosions things all jibes anymore because of whatever. I mean, it, like I said, I, for me, it's along more along the lines of flavor. I would say that any conflict there conflicts with itself more than it conflicts with us. I'm not going to argue with some with the argument that there might be some poor writing in some of the Picard episodes. That one, I didn't say poor writing. Conflicts. I'm just saying the conflicts. Okay, I'll say that. So. You don't have to say it. I will. Uh, I'll, but yeah. So, but I think that's that. That's the gist of it. Are you uh, maybe? Even a more broader thing. Are you worried about having to do that? It, like, I think you, I think you've answered that question. I think your explanation answers that question. I can pick up a I can pick up a comic book Spider Man and enjoy it, and then a, a year later pick up another episode of Spider Man. It has absolutely nothing to do with what happened before, and it may even and I may or may not be in a separate universe. And Spider Man basically said you are because they got the Spider you know this, the Miles Morales movie fixed that for us. There are eighty seven Spider Mans out there. That was the best Spider-Man movie ever, but they didn't, they didn't invent that, right? Spider-Verse conflict, you know, the multiverse concept has just been a thing of comics forever. And so you can kind of at any time decide that the story you're reading is from, whether it's in your own personal inner continuity or a separate continuity or follow what they say. Oh, this is the 616 universe and thus it must be real or it's not. This is the 617 universe or whatever universe. Comics have been dealing with this problem for decades. And, and so Star Trek is, you know, is 50 something years old now and they're running into those problems and they are doing a, a pretty darn good job with reality you know with the realistic challenges that they face and work be fine with it if at one point they decide to go and just say that that's something that completely conflicts or conflicts like they say oh you know we made contact with Iconians and we're all friends now and every and that happened you know 100 years ago and this complete and nothing happened that happened in our game that we completely you know a complete 180 on anything that we're doing because oh okay well then i guess we'll just have to say we're a separate universe but if you want to start pulling on little threads here to say okay this thread doesn't completely line up with this thread over here so thus you are delegitimized um if that makes you happy then fine but for me it's like i'm just going to not worry about that what all i can do is make sure that everything we do doesn't conflict with anything they do on screen if they conflict something with us we'll adapt or ignore that's it I know that the team has been working on uh, your Klingon for a long time. Um, can you, uh, do you want to recognize any team members specifically for any of the work that they did on this? Because, you know, the redesign of Kronos looks fantastic. The recruitment event is super fun. I'm really enjoying it. I think you're going to hear a lot of familiar names, right? So m most of the environments are, are done by Nick uh, Duguid. His lead is, is Scott Boyd. He's the he's the content, content lead and as well as cinematographer or director of photography, whatever you would call for the cutscenes. He manages the animator, Weston, who does all our animations and our cutscenes, amazing cutscenes. So they're a big part of that. All our character art is done by uh, Ian Castaneda, and he's our character lead, and he has a, um, a great team member on his team, uh, Amelia. These are the hair people? Uh, these are the hair people and the costumes, and they're the 
once you scope okay. it. Cat, cat, these are the hair people. Nice. My favorites. I love them. <laughs> Thank you to those guys. Yeah, and so they make so so that team, Amelia March and, I, and, and Ian Castaneda, um, they make anything that you that's on a character. So clothes, hats, guns, swords, hair. Uh, any that's that's all. That's the character team. Lightsaber batleths. Uh, nano pulse batleths. Um, tur- uh, turrets. Oh, sorry, sorry. Swotor problem. Um, Apologize. I don't know. You're you're really conflating things. I don't understand <laughs> the connection. So uh, nano pulse is uh, is a technology. Nano pulse. Sorry. Is the yes, technology yeah, that was mentioned in TOS on Mud's Women. Um, Scotty talks about it, and that's what it is. There with the citation, nicely done, well played. That's good. That's nice. You're you're bringing a, uh, a knife to a gunfight, man. So <laughs> just, just don't, don't come at me, bro. <laughs> Take a shot at the king. You best not miss. Exactly. <laughs> the director. <laughs> Please, how dare you? <laughs> oh yeah. So the credits. So those are, those are the guys that make that stuff. That's the character team. Um, and so they sculpt things, you know, like Lincoln and Jula and and all our characters and stuff, and the, or the clothes that you wear, the uniforms, uh, EV suits, weapons, turrets, stuff like that. Things that the character interact with. And then, then of course, there's our ship team. I mean, I can go through. I mean, there's just so much credit to go around that you can never stop. But of course, everyone knows Thomas Moroni and uh, Ian Richards and Donnie uh, Versailles. And and so there was that's our ship team who brings who um, and uh, with Hector doing the concept art side for a lot of that and uh, so they bringing to life existing ships or making their own variants of those or making brand new ships uh, that's that team doing that or continuing to go through and making the ships look on screen perfect. Uh, yeah, they're just ridiculously oh, on screen perfect now, and so um, you know, and and they're getting the attention of CBS, right? So, and you're seeing them now. They're on Eagle Moss, you know, has their whole line of Star Trek online ships. And wait, 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 wait. What do you mean you're, they're getting CBS's attention? Well, I mean, I, I'm explaining. I'm saying you can see that you can see that Eagle Moss is now making our ships, and the Enterprise F was on the uh, was on was in the was in one of the comics, the Picard countdown comics and so and how long until the cbs animators call you guys and say you guys have eighty thousand different ships on your that's that's what i was getting at that's what i was trying to understand yeah yeah how can we have more than one type of ship in our show how do we do that i would think that that would be a no-brainer to do because you know we have an expertise of how to make ships um Mm. And how to make them kind of beautiful and screen perfect. Yeah, they do. Uh, yeah, there is a definite love that those that team makes. I mean, you know, Donnie himself, right? Like after he does this at work for work, using you know that we pay him for his skill, he goes home and he does it for fun on his own. He if he's got he's got a, uh, a, a you know an art page. I, I don't know if it's DeviantArt or wherever it is he posts his art, but he goes and he makes you know a, a much much higher detail, higher fidelity stuff on his own stuff that wouldn't fit in our game because it's just too, just ridiculously realistic starships and interiors and props that he just enjoys sculpting all day it's just his passion he just people like that are just they just love what they do you know in a, in a lot of ways well more than more than a lot of in many ways we hold him back because of the, the limitations of the engine and what he can do the, the budget you have to stick with for triangles right. and stuff yeah yeah, yeah he, exactly yeah. so yeah. stop being too good cut that out yeah <laughs> um you know weston's been doing his 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 animation and his cutscenes, and some of we started doing 
a little motion capture and then when COVID hit, we that became a lot harder because we, you know, you need a couple people in the office to do that. So he snuck in and he's done a few, uh, done a few motion captures, but most of it's still hand animated and boy, he just keeps, he keeps, um, he keeps raising the bar. That last Jewel's Vision cutscene was very long, but that was stellar. That was amazing. Um, and then a lot of cutscenes, he just started making a few cutscenes that we even asked for, like some of the transition scenes when you're going to Grethor, like switching, like watching the boat, pulling up to Grethor and a few other just minor transition cutscenes they did. Actually, I want to call out the boat. For a space game, the boat was really good. That's Donnie's, that's Donnie's boat. That was visually very striking. I mean, you know, yeah. I am never a fan of ground missions. I have not been a fan of ground missions from like day one. But let me tell you, I did not mind hanging out. I appreciate that. I'm I'm just telling you, Al. You know me. I'm not gonna be, I'm not gonna lie to you and give it to you straight. Ground missions is where we tell is the best play, way to tell stories. I know, yeah. and it really gets annoying to somebody like me. But I have to say, the boat was worth the trip to the ground mission. It really was good. It it, it was very visually striking. And, yeah, and well, that's Donnie. So he, you know, we gave that to him. And Donnie used to be an environment. And now he's most now he's ships. But every so often we pull him over to, to help out and do some things. And he's really good at making. Well, he did ships again. He, he used to be environments, and now he's doing starships but we had him he prefers to make prop like stuff then as opposed to like nick is really good at environments right like mycelial network right that kind of environments and donnie's really good at making props and so sometimes you can have a prop as part of the environment so the the boat for instance is something that really spoke to donnie's strength and he was able to make that boat as part of an you know environment prop and uh yeah he looked uh i mean if you get him on the show one day he can tell you more about how he what he did to build that and what he inspired to do. but he actually banged that out surprisingly fast but boy i was tired looking at that old boat in the game from 10 years ago um it was, <laughs> was so glad to see that new boat new boat oh that's really good it is really good so let's talk a little bit about the missions themselves right we had two featured episode missions that uh featured two new voice actors uh added to the game sam Whitwer and uh mary chifo uh, let's let's not forget about the recurring voice actors right robert o'reilly jg Hertzler, and rika sharma as as three they continued throughout most of this arc but these were the two new ones for the for the for the anniversary what fascinated me was how you managed to take an episode like Through the Valley of Shadows, right? The season two, episode 12 of Discovery, where Pike goes down to the Taboreth. The monastery, yeah. And, 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 and created a playable experience of that, right? We had these portals that affected past, present, and future, and all these different things. What other influences, if any, did you hope players might notice? Oh, that's that's uh, that's entirely um, TNG, man. That's that's when Boreth is where Worf goes to to go on his spiritual journey to get a vision of Kalis in in the shrine of Kalis, that cave where you see the ghosts of Christmas past, future, and present. That's where that's where Worf saw his vision of Kalis, and that's when we that's when, uh, or as the Discovery Klingons would say, call Kalish, um, Barcelona Klingons. And yeah, the Barcelona, <laughs> and that's um, and that's where they cloned Kalis in in Boreth. Do they call it Boreth on TNG? Do they name it? Yes, they did. Oh, okay. they, they absolutely did because Discovery keeps this is true to canon, man. They know what they're doing. It's where they invented the nanopulse weapons. Shut up, Al. We're gonna start. We're gonna start a fighter fight now. No, they Don't did not that. invent the nanopulse weapons, there, man. Just <laughs> obviously came from. That's um. <laughs> 
Sorry, I couldn't help it. And uh, so, yeah, so we merged those two, right? You have a merger of discovery. You know, they 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 took a concept from TNG and they they elaborated on it, and we kind of took that and merged those two, not just the environments like the cave, but the story itself of Boreth has this technology to clone and upload memories, um, but did it in a much more. We didn't want to take this. I don't know if this is the right word, Baroque monastery looking building and turn this into the sci-fi, you know, a science lab with computers would have been very jarring. So we've decided to lean really heavily into the mythology and symbolism and almost Frankenstein punk theme punk kind of technology for them to bring resurrect someone from from the past um, like clone you know uh, cloning bordering on being on supernatural really wanted to, to delve into the mythology there on the one hand I'm glad to hear you say that it was a, a choice but on the other hand that was really jarring for me personally I much would have rather had you done the uh, the, the the temple underneath the Vulcan monastery you know the one where they open up the big cave and there's a, like a secret oh and Pajem we wanted to lean into the killing on mysticism of it all that def- when Worf goes to goes there you know there's all this there's this mysticism there's this meditation there's these visions Klingons are very spiritual people and we wanted to lean into that and we didn't want to lean into the science we wanted to le- lean into their mythology because we were then going into Grethor and so if you are in Gre- and then when you are in Grethor we're leaning into you know the sto- the, the Theklar as well as if you notice the people you talk to we've got Discovery Klingons down there 2409 Klingons in Grethor there's TOS Klingons in Grethor there's even a Kelvin Klingon in Grethor. I did notice the Priority One homage to a very old Priority One sort of side character, the the uh, Klingon uh, cruise in, uh, game instructor. Hey, kapla, everyone! Let's go do this fun <laughs> thing now. Hey, who wants to play poker, everyone? Kapla! I'll take. Yeah, I, I did. Uh, th- 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 we appreciated that homage over here. Thank you very much. That was, that was great. Uh, oh, that was all for you, Johnny. I, I know. Oh, I know. I was I saw thinking it about there. you the what whole the time. What the fuck? That's I my saw it character. There. Jesus Christ! No, no, that's mine. No, that was mine. That was from way back. That was, wait, it's mine. It's all mine. We're, again, another example where we're kind of recognizing and honoring all the different types of Star Trek, all the different types of Klingons. And I love that. I absolutely love that. And I think this is one of those moments where I say, like I say to you, this is why I kind of wish you guys were writing New Trek on television. Because that was an amazing moment to see all these and embrace all these different Klingons that we've had in canon. Uh, we're all inclusive, man. <clears throat> we're just all inclusive. Everybody, everyone is not a cis white male in our game, right? So that same that, that goes the same for Klingons, right? Some Klingons are purple. Some Klingons are a little purple. <laughs> and you know, to, to to contrary to Tony's point, I actually really did enjoy the the mysticism that came from these two story arcs. Because you guys kind of set this up already with the Iconians, right? That that there is, to, to some, technology can seem supernatural, right? It's the Arthur C. Clarke thing, yeah. Mm-hmm. So the argument can be made that the Klingons have access to incredible technology that just looks like magic to us, you know? Um, I liked it. I personally really enjoyed it. It got me thinking, you know? It really got me thinking the way an older TNG episode dealing with the afterlife and supernatural deep space nine and the wormhole god are they gods are they aliens that's what these missions 
got me thinking about. And so, yeah, so we're leaning really into that. And, and and the whole thing about Grethor is that leans into, you know, Barge of the Dead from Voyager when B'Elanna goes and she goes, make me, you know, bring me to the brink of death so I can go on this quest. And that's where we learn that, you know, a person can, the Klingon can give up their soul. I'll take to take someone's place in Grethor. So that's an established, you know, mythology from Voyager. And that's what's happening in our story, right? We're people, uh, Jula, first Jula and then Galron. But Laurel, she says, I'm here because I took vote place because it was my fault and I went to Stovacor but folk didn't die an honorable Klingon death he, you know, he gave up being Klingon effectively so you guys killed Ash Tyler no he was already dead he's not alive now so at some point he's 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 died at some point both of them died before t- before 2411 so they could bring Ash Tyler into the future on Discovery season four and then you guys would be kind of screwed um they could do a lot of things and then we would be kind of <laughs> screwed just, I'm throwing it they, back to that uh, other question we, we had. <laughs> Um, Sorry. <laughs> again, we just we won't contradict what they're doing. They are under no obligation to consider our 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 quaint little MMO for their greater good. So we so these are you talked about you know the Easter eggs and things. So we're talking about the barge of Bulana's voyage, the barge of the dead from Voyager, Worf's spiritual journey to Kalesh. We from the very beginning we introduced. Adet Pa as the Witch of Nimbus that she's kind of this spooky people think she's got mystical powers and she is kind of the spiritual liaison to the player explaining that some of these things would be considered supernatural and of course you've got Tanavik who is and it is pronounced Tanavik is um, Boreth exists kind of weird out of time in time because in Discovery, they drop him off as a baby. When they come back around, he's he's a he's a full-grown man. Trees are growing, you know, really fast. So time is tiny wimey down there. So okay, so he's living in a time bubble. He's basically Boreth is basically Gallifrey, in my opinion. That's kind of I think of it that way. And so he's basically timeless there. And so there's a little mysticism there. And then when you go to your spiritual journey and you you throw some volcanic dust into the brazier there, which that's actually kind of a nod to when Tilly snuffs volcanic fumes from Grethor with um, Clint Clint Howard, and they sniff volcanic fumes. Um, and so I guess that's a thing that Klingons do. So that's that's the method we use that you'll just sniff these volcanic fumes and you'll go into uh, Topor this trance comatose state trance that is this real or is it memorex kind of thing so yeah so we're, we're leaning into a lot there obviously we've got the time crystals the time the keys in discovery we only see tanavik showing uh showing captain pike the key the pillar and the key of i think the past the present and the future but he never shows the past it was actually cut out in post so they did build all three but they only showed two on screen so we built all three so you go and you go to each all three of those there so you get the special edition dvds that has the cutscenes and stuff i have the the set the set photos and stuff so we got we can and some of the the, the filmscapes they call them filmscapes are kind of like kind of like storyboards and so we saw that there were actually three there but they they didn't go through all three on the shell there's a lot going on there um also if you haven't played your Klingon recruit and start and to play all the remastered Klingon episodes. So all the old Klingon stuff is out. And now the the final one there is also a trip to Grethor and it's a very, very different experience. Your foe is Molor and you go against, uh, against some of the three Klingon sins of treachery, cowardice, and dishonor. So it's a very Klingon story, understanding the virtues and by seeing them, the anti-virtues that exist there, travel along there through Grethor with Kalos himself. So you haven't, bit of a spoiler, but uh, 
if you've only played the two the two featured episodes, you've only you've played less than half the new content for the 11th anniversary. So um, definitely check out those those uh, those new episodes there. I, I the the last one there where you go to Grethor is pretty in on the Klingon side is pretty much as as much of a featured episode as the first two. Pretty pretty good stuff. Cat, have you played have you played your Klingon recruit? Have you finished the Klingon the the Klingon the Klingon arc? That, well, no, that's what I was saying. Like I just I made my new character on Tuesday. Yeah. I made a discovery Klingon because you know I have all the others <laughs> already. Uh, but you gave you gave them hair. You didn't make you didn't make them bald. No, I have a bald. Well, before we got Discovery Klingons, I made my own version uh, of of one, and his name is Mokai, and he's bald. So, and that's the one I use my D seven on. His name is Mokai. Oh, is, yes. is he Mokai of House Mokai? Is is he like his name is Mokai Mokai? Well, yes. <laughs> <laughs> And then, well, yeah. It's like so, Jimmy James from News Radio back in the '90s, right? I mean, that yeah, he's, he's Jimmy James. It, yeah. It's it's Eminem. I just, he's Eminem. Y- so yeah, I mean, I know House Mokai is matrilineal, but I figured there was a dude in there somewhere, and I had a whole lot of female ones. So I, anyway, I wanted a male Klingon, and there weren't Discovery ones. I. I did, um, you know, my own version, but my new recruit, like I said, I got busy in the tailor and I was trying out all the new stuff. So I've only got her to level 13. So which mission is that bringing you to? Uh, I just finished alphas. Oh, you just finished alpha. Yeah, I just finished alpha and I could go to Nimbus, but I'm probably not going to go to Nimbus yet. <laughs> no, I mean, just just play the just keep playing the arc. Right. So the next the, 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 the I think that takes you right to. Right to the Fekiri arc after after Alpha, I think. Right, I think yeah, thirteen. Yeah, so is. that's why I didn't get around to playing all of the new missions yet because I was just working on her, and then I had to, you know, then I had to get her new weapons, and I wanted to, you know, customize my ship. So that takes a lot of time. <laughs> it's kind of fun, you know, start starting a new character. You know what I love about, and something I really would love to change and improve about the game, and um, at some point is that you know loot drops are fun again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. When you're, well, when you're, I when love you're starting getting new those. Like, what did I get? What did I get? What did I get? Because everything is good. Everything you need. Every new gun and pistol. Even it's white. Oh, it's a white Mark III. That's awesome. I didn't have one. So. Yeah. Well, uh, I have my favorite items, so I may, you know, switch to other characters to to mail my new characters some stuff, you know, and then then I had to get all the pit bulls and <laughs> I had to try all the outfits, you know. So. Did you get the number one pit bull? I haven't got number one yet. Yeah. I got right. like ten of them, and I, you know, I have a bunch of the. I didn't get. He like, has. He has the little. He has the Chevron <gasps> collar. Damn it! No. Get him. There goes my lobby. There you go. <laughs> um. So yeah, I'm really enjoying. It. I love. I have to. Can I? Can I talk? Can I say something about the loot drop thing? I have to tell you, when when Legacy Romulus came out, I had the most fun ranking up my guy from zero to fifty, only doing loot drop equipment. Yeah. That was a lot of fun. Oh. It is a lot of fun. Yeah, it, it that is. was. It's, I enjoyed that, and I also I never left this, the original ship. I, I did the original ship all the way to fifty. You, you stayed. You stayed. In I stayed that, in the in original Talis. Junk. Wow. That was time, super fun. I enjoyed that a lot. Highly recommend. Carry on. Well, Sorry, I, I just know. claimed. I just claimed. You know, my scalable ship for my character, and I just set that up before. You know, before this earlier today. <laughs> so I just got that all sorted. So now I can finish playing through the storyline. Um, but I love it. I love how everything looks. It's fantastic. I love her hair. I have the big hair. I have the big hair. See, I love talking to a I love talking to a fan cat. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, so hold on just a damn minute here. (laughs) Just a damn minute. I'm not even justifying that with a response. I don't even know. I I can't say something nice to Cat. The implication was that Elio and I are not fans. The implication was without a backhanded a backhanded comment. (laughs) That's really unfair, man. Because now I can't. So Cat, they don't recognize you, man. They're not even recognizing the fan that you are. They won't let me recognize you. Listen, this is twisting to build build you up. That must mean that I must be tearing them down. This listen, this twisting. The only thing it could possibly mean. And that's, I take offense to that. Hey, Kat, why don't you tell them about how much you're playing Swotor? Uh, well, I haven't played Swotor this week because I've been busy. You know, we are all inclusive here. It is, you know what? I'm not an anti-Star Wars fan. We can all, I put, you know what? I'm playing, I'm playing Horizon Zero Dawn right now more than I'm playing Star Trek online. I'm just, because I, we all get to play other games. It's totally fine. <laughs> It, it is it, interesting because I didn't play. I have never played any other games until fairly recently. So um, it is a different. It, it's interesting to see the differences between the two MMOs, and I appreciate yeah. a lot of things about Star Trek Online a lot more. Yeah. When you see how the other side has to live, yeah. No, Star Trek Online is a good game. It just is no, a I'm good. I'm really curious game. because you know, I, and I, I, I've played very little. Uh, Dotor, uh, so I, I don't um, I don't have a strong opinion, but I do remember that when they launched, they had a team of 300 people and spent something 300 million dollars to develop that game. And so I'm curious to and so and their you know their launch, I would probably wager that their launch product was better than production value wise than our launch product. But now 10 years in, I haven't played it recently. I should probably check it out. I'm curious not to create any type of rivalry because again I'm a Star Wars fan as you know too you said you can appreciate what you appreciate about what is it that you that if you playing Sotor made you appreciate about about Star Trek Online here's the biggest thing not getting effing nickel and dimed on every transaction because look Star Trek Online all your characters are fully customizable I don't have to pay well some outfits you do have to pay for but there's so many you don't have to pay for you can change your hair color you can change anything about your character and not have to pay for it Mm. you can go you know whatever you're getting whatever you're doing Swotor is heavily monetized and I am not a fan of that so in your face (laughs) I um I do remember seeing their their microtransaction strategy and it w- did feel I I don't know if they still do this I remember they charged you for sprint at some point like if you want to run faster you have to pay for that they may have this was at launch I don't think they do that anymore but again so yeah I feel like I'm really not invested in a lot of end game I was just really wanting to you know extend you know the storyline experience and see what it was like but having seen now what you have to go through to get to end game I don't even know that that's going to be worth it for me just because I have so much invested in Star Trek online and it's still fun you know I just was um, you know wanting to see what it was all about and yeah it really does make me appreciate the work that you guys do and you know the love you can tell you know the level that goes into it not to say that switch or the production value is gorgeous it's you know the storyline is fantastic it's all good but man it will microtransaction you to death interesting interesting observation take note kids i concur with cat's observation 100 percent. when i tried it a few years ago that's what made me put it down yes so that's the downside it's 
very discouraging. Like, you're like, wait, I can't even go change my hair color without having to pay for that crap? No. <laughs> I can't, like, set up my stronghold and have to pay for every rug and, you know, just decoration, and that's ridiculous. That's the big difference for me. So it's interesting. Your, your entire comparison is entirely on the business model as opposed to the quality of the content. It's intrusive. It's just too it's intrusive, too intrusive to your gameplay. Yeah, it is. It breaks your it breaks your immersion, but it, you know, it's also just frustrating cuz you're like, "Well, I don't even know how to get that currency. Where the hell I'd like to go do this thing." Oh, paywall. Yeah, and I'm like, "Well, I'm not going to do that. I just like whatever. <laughs> go do something else for a while." In Star Trek Online when you find a paywall, there's also a door. There may be it may be way down the hall. You may have to walk a long way to get to it, but there's a way around the paywall if you put in the time. And that's that is a huge difference between when they show you the shiny and then they like handcuff you or you know ankle cuff you to the sidewalk. Yeah, you want to walk that way? Pay to unlock your hand your ankle cuffs, buddy. It's 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 such a tonal difference when you walk into it. Striking. So while we're on the topic of this, you know we've we've been introduced to scalable tier six ships and and someone on the team and I'm sure others out there are curious to know if uh, there are any plans to kind of update the tier one through tier three ships so that they too can you know, reach tier six and scale along with you? I don't know the actual answer to that. I know that we want to. I don't know if that means that we instead introduce tier scalable T6 versions of those ships, or if we just turn the existing ones into into scalable ships. I, I, I think it's six or a half dozen. I, I, I don't know. They're a little stranded, right? I mean, they're they're kind of they're kind of stranded. Yeah, I mean, they're 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 there. I mean, they exist for new players who are coming in to get the, the for the level up experience that you can do without having to spend any money, or if you want to spend a couple bucks for the for the pre, for the premium ones. I don't even no, we even took the we, they're all dilithium now. They don't have to pay money for them anymore, and you can use them for the admiralty cards. You will at at some point see most of them. We've seen some already, right? Like the the Luna, we turned into a T6 scalable ship which was a T5 ship. We'll be taking a lot of those, remastering them and turning them into, uh, we'll just be leaning all into the uh, into a T6 scalable. The difference is, is that, you know, a T6 scalable ship is, you know, still 30 bucks and there still needs to be a place for an upgraded T2, T3 ship for someone who just wants to just play the game without having to spend $30. We don't want to start hitting you with paywalls at level 13, right? We don't want to do that. Like some games might. Some games I, I've heard of might do. Um, so so I think they'll still exist as T2 ships there, and then you can get the T2 pluses for a little bit of uh, for a little bit of dilithium. But we'll probably make sure that all the classic favorites there there will eventually be T6 versions, so you can fly whatever you want. And and just to just before at before the questions of when it's like I don't know, and it's uh, we didn't ask that, and it won't be all be all at once, and then and then they'll be so one at a time. Right, just like like every so often we'll squeeze one in. You know, we just saw the announcement for the new legendary anniversary pack. Mm-hmm. So I I saw some of the ships look to be Federation. Was this like a focus? Were you trying to do a KDF um, anniversary legendary bundle solely, or no? There's two, there there are two Klingon ships and two Fed ships in that in that in that legendary pack. There's a so there's two Fed and there's two Klingon ships in there. Um, so that's that's what's going to be in in this pack. And of course now. If you get a character, the Klingon character 
survive, you unlock cross faction flying. So you'll be able to, you know, play either either ship on either on either faction. So um, you'll unlock them all. Which your is your question asking me? Are we gonna get like ten Klingon legendary ships? No, making ten Federation legendary ships was some an extra special like backbreaking effort because it was the tenth anniversary. So we're not gonna do ten every year or eleven and then twelve and thirteen. Maybe we'll do it again at the twentieth anniversary. It's just way too much ships to make. I think my question was more. Um, I thought if it was going to be a new legendary pack, it would be all Klingon, you know, as opposed to. Yeah, it's not all Klingon because not enough people play Klingon. That's simple as that. So it would be a bad business decision, frankly, to just say that this pack has only got Klingon ships. We need to make sure that enough people, there's enough stuff in there that everyone will feel, will, finding the sweet spot of the majority of people are be interested in the product is challenging to do, um, as opposed to a design decision that says, yeah, I want parity and I want to do 10 legendary ships. But you know, there aren't really 10 legendary Klingon ships at all anyway, right? We, we generally, we, you're looking for like, what are the most popular? So you got Bird of Prey, you got Agorcha, uh, which you might argue the Katinga D7 is, is slightly different, and then in Negvar, and those are your those are the legendary ships that exist in the Klingon. Well, then there's the Romulan version of the D7. That's not a Klingon ship. That's a Romulan ship. Well, it was, and then they refitted it. It's a Romulan ship. It's not a Klingon ship. It's got a bird painted on the bottom of it, but that's about it. It's a Romulan ship, not a Klingon ship. Agree to disagree. Agree to disagree. It's, it is a Romulan <laughs> ship. The Rom- <laughs> is part of the Romulan... <laughs> it's just fun to needle you about that, because I know you're going to tell me that <laughs> The shipyard it was built from the TOS episode and the comic book. I know you're gonna do that. I mean, I know that's coming. I just, I just, I just like to needle you about it. That's all. So, so that 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 does not count as a Klingon ship. It just isn't. So, I mean, there are other Romulan Klingon ships, obviously, but as far as like the iconic ones, like legit, like our legendary ship pack from last year specifically was every one of these ships was a featured ship from a show. And and, and if anybody didn't pick up on it, we had the the Strange New Worlds Connie on there as one of those, and I specifically said last year this is every single ship on here is for a ship that has a show and i had knew that stranger world had come out hadn't been released and so people if they were smart realized oh my god but but this one doesn't have a show so yeah it's gonna have a show so so that was the definition of of legendary whether show or movie it's featured as a show or movie ship hero ship from that show not nearly as many i mean it's not like we can't make more um i'm sure we will make the hit the big four like i said Borcha, Borcha, negvar Varel, Cavort, Vorcha, Negvar, D7. Yeah, you can split. You can split. Katinga. You can split. You can split. You can split the, the, the Bortas Q. Give you yours. Bortas Q. Sure, ours. That's yeah. seven. Okay, seven. And then the sarcophagus ship. There's eight. And then you got to give me two more. You got to. You got to give me uh, two Discovery era. Two more Discovery era type ships with the uh, weird wings. Like and the stuff. cleave ship. The cleave ship. That's one. Sure. Okay. Nine. And then we just need a tenth one. Then you got ten. I've just given you the next six legendary bundles. Well, you're unlikely going to make a ten a ten ship Klingon legendary bundle, but doesn't mean that we won't come out with each one of those in a legendary version. So at some point, but this pack will have two and two. Okay. So speaking of the pack, though, uh, you know these packs are have great stuff in them, but they may be a little cost prohibitive to some people. But for players that have these ships or other versions of the ships, was there ever discussion of maybe getting a discount for people that may have the constituent ships within those bundles, or no? I know the answer to this one. <laughs> well, I know the answer too, but I still wanted to ask. Elio, do you know the answer to this one? <laughs> I don't actually. So. Oh, you don't. Okay, uh, Al, you better tell Elio the answer to this. I mean, I know, apparently, but Tony, for those who don't know, why don't you explain it to Elliot? I would like our guest to... (laughs) I have no idea what Tony is talking about. (laughs) 
I mean, because they're new ships. The legendary ships are new ships. That's why. That's why if you have a previous version of it, you don't get a discount. Oh, you're asking. You're asking if like if you get you know if you have a galaxy that somehow entitle you to a discount for a legendary galaxy. They're they're new, they're different ships. They're, no, there's not. There, there's no co connection or discount because you own a previous version. They're complete. They're they're different ships. They're better ships. They're they're legendary. As a matter of fact, from what I understand, they are legendary. It is unlikely that there is no plan on somehow doing anything like that. So I know that you're active on social media and like and and get excited when there are new players to the game and who are live streaming and and being excited about it and rightfully so there's there's definitely reason to be excited because there's a lot of content in the game right for a new player coming in to an 11 year old mmo they've got an incredible amount of things to do and catch up on how do you balance that with players like us players who've been playing the game for 11 years and wonder, oh, when's the next featured episode? Or wonder, when's the next new update coming to fix X, Y, and Z or to enhance X, X Y, and Z? We have a cadence and a formula and a process of what how we, how we build our content and what we release. And a large part of what we build is dedicated for our existing reoccurring player for retention. And so that's what our, you know, our TFOs are for and the, the prizes that you can earn, for instance, in our events that come with that, our event system. Those are largely for existing players. So I'm not building a, I'm not sitting down with the team and deciding uh, how is this going to benefit a brand new player coming into the game versus should we be building this episode, a piece of story for an existing part of the game. We're just building the good stories and, and we're just going to build the stories. We're going to build as much as we can in the time that we have, the best quality that we can. And we're going to put in there at the same time with whenever our releases, we're going to put in there a piece of retention content like an event to keep people engaged in the game and giving and, and award them accordingly for participating uh, as such. For instance, right now you can get the new Alliance Raider if you participate in the in the event. So it's a free ship. We give away a lot of free ships in the game. So if you participate and, and, and play the game and if you only want to partially participate, then you can partially pay. But we give you a lot of options on how you can earn your ship. So if you want to attract new players into a game, you know, we've got two main options. You can start a new faction which is really expensive, but it certainly is is, is an option. Say, so, you know, like adding a Romulan faction or a Discovery faction or whatever faction we may or may not do in the future. Or you run a recruitment event and like this. So the recruitment event is there so that way everybody can start at square one together, whether you're a veteran player or a brand new player or a returning player. Come back, let's all make a Klingon together at level one and experience it together. And we'll be rerunning old recruitment events later in the future that we've done. So I think we're going to have a lot of recruitments event running you will you will be rerunning older that was on the list nice job that was a question there you go all, all of the recruitment events will be rerun um probably all the time they'll be on a cycle they'll be on a cycle like event so so we'll be we'll be bringing those back and you know we'll try to polish them up here and there as as, as we go so you'll see temporal and delta and and all of those that's the best way to attract new players or reattract lapsed players is to come back into the game and that is the recruitment stuff really for new players though i mean it seems to me like it's designed to get people back in somebody that's familiar with star trek online might not be familiar with the new content new systems it's, tang it's tangentially related to 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 new players because we can market it as such as there's a recruitment event to come and start a new klingon um and you're going to get all this all this all this stuff it then populates the lower levels with veteran players so new players can come in and they're not competing against everyone who's 65 they're getting to see a lot of people at level one again and so it's 
a little. It's a cheeks and seats thing. It's a cheeks and seats. It is. It builds a low level community. So that way, everyone is not not 65 and maybe don't want to play with low level players. Everyone has. Everyone's on more equal footing. Now, inevitably, a veteran player is going to blaze through it faster than a low level player. But at least there will be. Since the event runs for a long time, at any point you can make a brand new cling. And a lot of people are making Klingons right now, which is exactly the what we wanted. Is it going to bring in you know all the boys to the yard? Is it going to bring a whole bunch of you know new players to the game? I, I don't know. We'll, we'll see. The milkshake faction. Why did you Why did you explore that, Tony? But it does. It's 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 inviting everyone. We are having an event. Let's just start from level one. It's okay. You don't have to be intimidated. Kind of the message that we try to project with that. But inevitably, yes, the majority of those people are going to be existing players that come back in because, and that's why we give account rewards for that. I don't know if I answered your question, uh, Elio, is is whether or not how do we balance new players versus existing players, but, you know, that's, and anything that we do, it's, there's always a little bit of story, there's always a little bit of retention, and there's, and we always try to find a little bit of acquisition. Well, let's explore it a little more with the concept of cross-faction ships, and is it a slow teardown of the red versus blue wall? I mean, in past episodes and past interviews with you, you've said that it's nearly impossible given the the way the game is built, but has that changed? You know, I can give you the diplomatic answer or the story, nuanced story answer, but it's frankly a business decision. You, We don't have a lot of Klingon players. Most people make Federation. That's just, that's just how most games work. If you have a game that's like generically red versus blue, you end up with 50-50 split. But if you have a good guys versus bad guy game, you know, even, you know, whether or not Klingon no, they're not bad, but you know they're the closest thing to bad. That you know, at bad. launch they were bad. Yeah, they were bad. They're the bad guys. They're the enemy. Um, and whether you're playing heroes versus villains, like City of Heroes saw way more heroes than villains playing. Um, and you're going to see saw way more alliance than horde players on WoW until they put and they put pretty blood elves because you know let's let's get a pretty faction over on there and to get attract more people to the horde and try to de-villainize them and make them a little more sympathetic of a bad guy in order to balance. Your, your play experience and most of our players play Federation that's the fantasy it's a Star Trek game it is about the Federation so that's the fantasy people want it is not always the best financial decision it takes just as much time to make a brand new Federation ship as it does to take a brand new Klingon ship if I can sell four times as many or ten times as many Federation ships and Klingon ships well how many Klingon ships do you think the business model is going to want to make but we have to sustain those so we have we have to make them so by make, uh, allowing Krauss faction we reduce reduce that barrier and for a long time it's like well if you want to play them make a Klingon character and then you can and get them up to 65 and we'll get more cheeks and seeks that way because they want to play that really cool Vorcha or Negvar or, or Vortasku but let's just say okay let everyone play whatever they want you can write whatever fiction you want certainly IP precedence for it and hopefully that will result in more sales of Klingon ships and if that's more sales of Klingon ships it's easier to make more Klingon ships. So it's not, it's not, these are not stepping stones to breaking down the actual mechanic, the system of red versus blue. No, that's, that's not, it's not related to that. Not that that, not that that's not a goal I want to achieve, but they're not, but they're not, not intertwined. So, and I think that's really the heart of our question here is that part of the cross-faction flight thing is that Romulans and Jemadars, they, they aren't in the whole fly whatever you want category. Sure they are. It's only the full KDAF and full flip. No, but if, if you, sure they are. If you are... If if you are a Romulan, you pick a faction, Federation, or Klingon. You can play Romulan ships and your faction, and then you can unlock the other faction. I thought there was a disclaimer about 
Well, I mean, I guess it's, it's you can't level up one of those guys to unlock it. The only way to unlock it is to level up the Klingon. Maybe that's what I'm thinking about. Because we want, we're trying to push everyone into Klingons. We have great Klingon content. We're very proud of. We made a huge whole year of Klingon story arcs. Upgraded all the art for everything. So now come on and check out Klingons because they're awesome now. They're awesome, and we're super proud of them. We want everyone to play. So we're incentivizing you. Go play over there to get. So that's a perk if you play that through. Like one of the few barriers that are left then is that if you are, have a KDF player and a Federation player, they don't team up. It's a technology issue. It's not a design issue. Right. And I think that's. I think that was kind of the heart of the question. Is that barrier stuck because of the technology issue, or is that something that long term you guys would like to knock down? It has nothing to do with the cross faction ships. It has nothing to do with desire. It's got to do with the technology issue that we have not been able to carve out the time to make happen because it's, it is that or something else and so something else is always more of a priority it is not a two-day task from what i understand and i couldn't could, couldn't even i have no idea i don't understand why it's hard it's purely an engineering thing that it is hard and will take whatever weeks or months to do i know we've been talking i mean i remember talking to you about this years ago anyway and it was essentially the same yeah. answer so i mean yeah, nothing same answer right nothing nothing's changed but the desire no. internally is we want to uh, at least get people the ability to play with the toys on both sides even if the two factions can't team up and play together yet maybe someday possibly correct maybe yeah all right so here we go al we kind of know the answer to these already but we're gonna ask them because we were asked them to ask you here we go you ready here we go number one so you had no control over this whatsoever this is or our hands are tied in the wind it completely leaf in the wind yep i'm sorry we're all we're we're gonna get through this together here we go ready (laughs) i appreciate the dilemma that you're in Go. Ready? Here we are. Here we go. We've got cross faction ships now. Uh-huh. Cross faction ships. When yeah. are we going to craft our own ships? I don't know. Okay. The 10th anniversary legendary pack had two tiers one of just ships and one with additional accessories and consumables. What was the business case for only one tier in 2021? I don't have an answer for you. I don't know if there's a business case for, any, for anything. I don't even know if everything has been announced yet. Okay. Uh, last one here. Will event campaigns still reward C Store tier six ship coupon rewards in the future? Or is the promo lockbox ship choice reward the new standard? I think we're experimenting with different things and trying different things to see what people like or want more and whether or not it's a this kind of ship or that kind of ship or a choice of this ship or a choice of that. I think we just want to see what, what people engage with. It's a little bit of educated guesses for that for those. Personally, I thought it was a really cool idea, the, your, the meta thing. That, you know, everyone wants those lockbox ships. I've been salivating over a tier six constitution for a couple of years now. That was positive response to that is 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 basically a perfect example of the answer that I'm trying to give is like okay that seemed to be very motivating and people seem to be excited to that and and the, and the way we packaged it it was received positively now we'll just have to see if the response matches the actual data and participation though so that will take some time to see we'll we'll, we'll adapt as, as we can I don't know what the future is going to be. All right, here we go. Here's another one. Here's another one. I, this is one I think I know the answer to. Uh, to what degree will the Star Trek Online team return to uh, its previous mission creation bandwidth once Magic Legends finally goes live? Uh, we are at the a Star Trek Online mission creation bandwidth. This is our bandwidth. This is what we do. This has nothing to do with Magic. Magic is not leeching our time or our resources in any way whatsoever. Or people or anything? Like, it's not like you guys don't share teams? No, I mean, like... some people have moved from, from Star Trek to Magic or from Neverwinter the magic or from magic to i mean we move people around the team all the time that's normal but and that's just one of the benefits because we have an engine that's shared and so people can move over quite easily whether 
whether it's because of promotion opportunities or someone just wants to do something different or their skill set is needed somewhere. But anyone who has moved to a different team is usually backfilled either from another team or from an outside hire. Um, so for instance, we had a recently had a person move from, and I won't say who because it's not my business, but moved from, from Star Trek to another project. And so now we're hiring a systems designer for Star Trek. This is normative business. People will move and we because we want people to have that opportunity to either pursue something they like or advance their career or whether or not a project just really needs a little hands-on, a little extra help. We've had times where we lend time to magic and and sometimes magic uh, has lent, lent time to us. Bill Zaleski is, was a systems lead on Star Trek Online for a long time. He's now the systems lead on magic and he's come over and lent a hand and built a few ships for us over the last couple of years. So he comes over too. So this kind of leans into a little bit of uh, Elio's question about reduced number of episodes. It's not because we're hamstrung in any way. We've made a choice to make higher quality episodes and higher quality episodes take more time. Instead of doing something in six weeks, we're doing them in nine or 12 and spending a lot more time on the art and design and on the cutscenes for a much more memorable, much more, much better experience. So uh, we will not be returning to a shittier experience. All right, Al, I think we're at a point where the microphone is open to you. So if you haven't already dropped the mic, Al, then this is the point of the show where we leave it open to you. If there's anything that we did not discuss that you were hoping we would and dive into, we're more than willing to spend uh, time talking about it. Sure. Well, I mean, I'm always, I'm, you know, always very excited to talk about our stories. I, I want to do a, uh, a special shout out to our new voice actors. You mentioned before Mary Chifo and Sam Whitworth. Um, if you don't know Sam Witwer, Sam Witwer uh, is a, is, a fa- is an actor and, and famous voice actor who's done the voice of Darth Maul. He's done the Emperor in most of the animated series, or all of them, if not all of them. Um, he was on Battlestar. I think he was on Supergirl as well. I think he was. My wife said he was the bad guy in Supergirl last. He has a phenomenal voice, and he he worked so hard because he's very close friends with, with Kenneth Mitchell, and he was recommended by Kenneth. He worked so hard to honor his friend's character. He was back there in the booth because we were recording recording uh, remotely, and he was screaming to try to... Uh, uh, that kind of thing. This, and so he was just to try to reach the tones that Kenneth could do for, for Tanavik, um, and he wanted to retake and retake. Um, so he really cared. And I really appreciate the work you put in there. And huge shout out to Mary Chifo, who's been an absolute delight. Really has, it, it was really great to work with someone who fluently speaks Klingon. Even Barcelona Klingon. Yeah, she she's she knows her stuff and she loves her character. And she's been so engaged with us and just on social media and has been so appreciative and so excited to see her character come to life. I love working with an actor who is just engaged in the work. Kind of makes you want to invite her back. Mary Chifo will be back. Her story okay, is just not checking. over, right? Okay. We have a yeah. we have another. The story's not over. We'll we conti- we'll continue in the next season, and uh, and we will we will see we will see Mary Chifo again for sure. Big shout out to the to both of them. Uh, Mary Chifo's story is just starting. Laurel's story, I, I guess rather I should say. So they're, they're absolute delight. Really, really magnificent. Hope everyone enjoys the stories. And I guess the the thing that I guess would say most is is don't forget to play. If you don't want to make a new Klingon, that that's okay you can still play the new content but i do encourage you to not forget that this the anniversary was not just these two featured episodes involving jula you know that are the uh, the end game episodes there are there's a whole remastered arc 
of Klingon content. And although I encourage you to make a new Klingon, if that's just you have a Klingon and you don't want to make a new one, still I encourage you to play the content. Really great improvements from tutorial to to the last arc, the Fekiri invasion arc, all all new environments. So really good stuff. That's all done by Jesse Heinig. He remastered all of those, all of that content. He's uh, you know I think our most senior content designer there. So he's definitely someone who knew where all the bodies were buried in order to tear apart the old one and rebuild it. Something new. Good stuff there. That definitely it, it was something we really wanted to do to highlight our year of Klingon. Check that out, and I look forward to. Uh, and and if you do play and you enjoy it, please send out a shout out to the actors on social media they love to hear it and it encourages them to want to do more for us so the more that they know that you appreciate the work um whether it's twitter or instagram or facebook or wherever it is you follow them give them a shout out and tell them how much you enjoyed what you saw if you didn't like it then don't tell them if you don't have anything nice to say <laughs> don't say anything at all <laughs> do a discovery review on priority one that's, yeah that's, that's that's the end that's the rest of that well al thank you so very much for spending your afternoon with us we really appreciate it it's been far too long and it's always exciting to have you back to talk about star trek online and the state of the game and and what we have to look forward to uh in coming events thank you for carrying the torch especially during this really awful time and so i appreciate everything Message coming in, sir. Hailing frequencies. Open. See, we are getting to know each other. From Twitter, Thomas Townley says, I created a short, squished-faced Discovery-era Klingon. Also from Twitter, Sam Ronan writes, The detail in the levels looked impressive. I am not so taken with the classic gothic look for the Klingons, but it was impressive lighting and detail for Star Trek Online. Combat verged closer to a Dynasty Warriors game with the sheer number of opponents on the ground. Lots of opponents, and they were all lined up like a chessboard. I did not like that at all. Not a fan. I was not a fan of that escape from Grethor, because... I knew that you couldn't stay and fight, but at the same time... You know what works? Red Angel what? suit. I didn't you, get the Red Angel suit. Oh, sorry. Then you could just fly through it and, and like run onto the boat. That's uh, what I did. Although I died like 17 times getting there. I, I threw... What I did was I tried to throw that um, Pavel crystal thing to try to attract oh. the aggro. And my frosted boots, but that still didn't help for shit. It's Grethor. Yeah, the I, floor's on fire. Your frosted boots are not going to work. I, <laughs> you know what's? You know what else is weird that works? Uh, assimilating demons. Yeah, I saw that oh, post. Nice. But I, I was able to do it. I was able to do it. And I saw Luke Critter was able to do it, too, and he made a big thing about it on his, on his account. That's awesome. From Facebook, Ronald Brazier replied, I think the new episodes are incredible. Love the new Klingon customizations. Of course I made a new KDF recruit. Fun playing from the beginning again. Keep up the great work, Cryptic. Again, from Facebook, Arnold Ogando said, A female disco Klingon combined with the core outfit. With the cape. And lastly from Facebook, Dafid Balston replies, Disco Klingon, but not level 65 yet. Lol. Same here. Don't Me worry. Me neither. I haven't gotten, I've barely even started. Level 7. And I decided that I'm going to rank up this Klingon with the starter ship. I'm, I'm, I'm going to fly the original. It's pretty good. No, no, just the, like the one with two four oh, weapons. Original. And the one back uh, one. I'm going all the way. Yeah. Ooh. I'm taking it all the way. Okay. That's wow. intense. Test of yeah, skill. I'm only I'm torture. I'm level I'm 38 right now. I'm level like four. Man, I mean, there's a lot to do getting your character ready. <laughs> and not for nothing, meleeing everything sucks. Yeah, it does. 
add some time on the ground. And from PriorityOnePodcast.com, Sean Newboy had a lot of thoughts, but here's one we can address. What is the life expectancy of Klingons? Humans in this era can reach about 200. Vulcans over 200? And when speaking of the new content, he says, wonderful job, everyone. Keep up the good work. Well, I think that was for us. That was for us. What? Well, I mean, again, oh. every weekly episode is, in fact, new content. So you're welcome, Sean Newboy. Yeah, true. You're, yeah, oh, right. Yeah. Well, was it ever said humans can reach 200? I don't remember that I being a thing. I think McCoy is like 200 in TNG, right? Doesn't he? Isn't he? 140. Oh, we, oh, okay, okay. Really? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> the magic of medicine, of modern, of future medicine. And I got an answer for you because they, they can get to at least like 150 or so because uh, in Trials and Tribulations and the other mm -hmm. uh, uh, DS9 episodes with the with the old Klingons coming back to do one last one last hurrah all those guys are uh, still kind of mobile and maybe not in their prime but still capable and that's they've got to be 150 at least so i mean that's oh yep. you're talking about core uh -huh. and yeah, yeah but they're yeah, klingons yeah. we knew klingons yeah. live longer than humans but right so i mean so, i didn't the life expectancy's got to be about 200 probably because they're not falling over themselves at, at that point yeah i get yeah i would say about that what i kind of liked about this the the boreth mission and the the grethor mission was that it really does kind of do with Klingons what DS9 did with Bajorans. And I think there was even a DS9 episode where, where Worf talks about how he can relate to Bajorans because of their spirituality. Yeah. And and I kind of like that. I kind of like that that they explore that spirituality thing and like they, you know they make a question, what is consciousness? What is the soul? You know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I really I mean, I really like the story of the episodes. I know some people oppose, you know, are opposed to discovery, but I don't mind the time crystal storyline in Boreth. The, you know, the ground map is beautiful even if you're getting attacked a million times. Well, that wraps up episode 495 of Priority 1. A Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. But there are more great shows available to you on the Roddenberry Podcast Network. Just visit podcasts.roddenberry.com for a complete list. Then be sure to subscribe to them all and share them with your friends. And we can't forget to send a special thanks to some of our Patreon supporters like David K. Rutley, Peter Archibald, and Gerald Bosch. Captains, it's important to us that you get your voice heard and that you participate in the conversation. Leave us a comment on our website at PriorityOnePodcast.com, on our Facebook page at Facebook.com forward slash PriorityOnePodcast, or you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at PriorityOnePod. And if you're still craving more, be sure to spend time with Winters, Anthony, me, plus the rest of the Priority One Armada. Saturday nights the armada broadcasts live to review the latest news from star trek online and the armada community including spotlighting some of our amazing members with regular giveaways there's something for all star trek online players whether you're new or a veteran follow us on all our social media accounts for broadcast times and if you'd like to join the armada visit priority one armada.com this episode of priority one podcast is brought to you by our patrons through patreon.com like I mentioned earlier in the show, we run this much like a community theater organization. All of us are volunteers. Unfortunately, producing the show is not free and we turn to you for that. So if you decide to become a patron, you get perks like early access to interviews like the one you just heard with Our Vera. Our patrons got that Tuesday. So if you find value in the show and care to support it, visit patreon.com forward slash priority one. Don't forget to tune into Priority One Productions Guard Frequency podcast at guardfrequency.com. Each episode, the guard will take you inside the universe of your favorite space sims, including a tabletop adventure played out by your hosts. And Heroes Rise brings you up to date with the world of Dungeons and Dragons. Learn all about the latest publications, tools, tips, tricks, and traps in less time than it takes to skin a live urn. Head over to heroesrisepodcast.com to discover their secrets. A very special thanks to our guest this week, Star Trek Online's design director, Al Captain Gecko Rivera. 
Thanks to our audio editors, including Gray, Brandon, William, Daniel, Rand, Roscoe, Lennon, and Skiffy. Thanks to our producer, Jake, and associate producers, Shane and Thomas. Together, they help us organize and write up our summary of the weekly headlines from the Star Trek multiverse. Thanks to our social media manager, Anthony. Thanks to our graphic artist, Henry, with support from Jason of the Priority One Armada. Thanks to the composer of our theme music, Chris Watts. But most importantly, a big thanks to you, the Star Trek community, our listeners. Because without your ongoing support, none of this would be possible. Enemy ship on sensors. Red alert. Shields up. Engage. How much of a tricky John Williams was John Williams? What? I don't know why the hell I read that. And Michael Shabon's expand. You want history? Check out its tenacious neutrality. Tenuous. 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 Not tenacious. It is a tenacious neutrality, really. Also, it, it's both tenuous and tenacious. I could see Jeff Buck hanging out there, too. Yeah. I prefer pre- El Presidente el Gecko. Yep. Sure. The, this is why I love this show. Exactly. <laughs> so, all right. We so, kiss a sufficient wh- amount of ass. You're right. No, so seriously. We what, just call what? you El Jefe. El Jefe. <laughs> el Jefe Gecko. El Jefe. This is a Roddenberry podcast. For more great podcasts, visit podcast.roddenberry.com.